You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, the first morning session to start, I said out loud to John, I was like, so where do you want to go to next for lunch? Um, Portland was filled with amazing food choices. And so you can say that we ate really well while we were there. And Vancouver is pretty much the same. There's lots of choices, variety, and my social media algorithm essentially knows that I'm going to stop to watch a reel on the top five places to eat in Vancouver. And we live in Port Moody. It's the same thing. Restaurants and coffee shops are opening up in different areas. There's Sweet Talk Donuts, Baca, Osteria Pavera, Sushi Moto, Outpost for the Timber Train Coffee, and so much more. We live in a place where there is an overindulgence of food options. And so maybe you're a lot better than I am, and you don't think about food 24-7. But we live in a culture where we have a preoccupation with eating. We have become engrossed with food. And so if we think about what the average Canadian spends money on, it's, can you guys guess? Food. It's food. So I think it's safe to say that the culture we live in does not hold value to a practice like fasting. So all throughout scripture, we read that praying and fasting go together. It is possible to pray without fasting and fast without praying, but when you combine it together, something happens that seems seems to add power to our prayers. So first, let's read what Jesus has to say about fasting. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open it up to Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And I know you guys usually stand, so why don't you guys stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And it says, When you fast, do not look somber as hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who was unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? So first, we need to notice how Jesus said, when you fast. This is assuming that Jesus' disciples would be and will be fasting. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Just like how Jesus expected for his disciples to pray regularly, he also assumed that they would also fast regularly. So Jesus expects his disciples to, to fast. But what is fasting and what does fasting have to do with prayer? Dallas Willard, a teacher and author known for his writings on Christian spiritual formation, describes, fasting is one way of seeking and finding the actual kingdom of God present and active in our lives. So fasting is one of the spiritual practices of choosing to go without something. In this case, it's without food. It has been practiced by followers of Jesus to help them find and keep solid footing in the kingdom of God. So fasting at its basic is not eating food. But fasting is also not a restricted diet. It's not something you do to lose weight or gain something from from doing it. There are lots of benefits to fasting, like mental clarity, blood sugar control, promotes heart health, balancing blood sugar and cholesterol levels, and so much more. And though these are all good things, 
in the, in the scope of our time today, these are not the reasons why we're fasting. In Matthew 6, 1, uh, 1 to 18, where we just read our section on fasting, we see that Jesus gave instructions to his disciples, which included three related duties, charitable giving, praying, and fasting. And when we read in, what we read in each section is that Jesus placed an emphasis on the motive and warned people against doing it for the sake of impressing one another. And we'll just take a quick, a quick look at that on the screen. Matthew 6, 1, where it talks about giving to the needy, it starts off with, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Matthew 6, 5, the section on prayer, says, but when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And the next section, um, Matthew 6, 16 to 18, it says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. So Jesus is warning us about our motives. In Jewish tradition, fasting was an accepted part of their religious duty. Since Moses, it was a practice they had continuously done. We see how both the Pharisees and John the Baptist fasted regularly. And throughout scriptures, we see examples um, of disciples fasting. We also see in Jesus' own example of fasting found in Luke 4, 1-2, where after his baptism, Jesus had fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. And it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. When we read the scriptures, we see the first mention of fasting was when Moses went on a 40-day fast on Mount Sinai, which follows many different stories of fasting with David, Samuel, and Esther. During Jesus' time on earth, it was common practice for Jewish people to, uh, to fast twice a week until sundown, and later on, Christians continued this practice. Later, we see that the early leaders of the church, also known as the church fathers, not only taught on fasting, but even commanded for fasting to happen on Wednesdays and Fridays. And the first Christians took this command very seriously. John Wesley, a theologian, a minister, and the one who established the Methodist uh, Church, was fairly known for advocating fasting on both Wednesdays and Fridays as a spiritual discipline. He took fasting so seriously that he was also known for not ordaining anyone into the Methodist ministry who was unwilling to fast twice a week. So now with those standards, I don't know if I would currently be a pastor. But um, I share this to share that all throughout scripture and in the early history of the church, fasting was seen and and considered as a part of what you did in your walk with Jesus. It wasn't optional. It was critical to the Christian life. So the question we're all asking, what does fasting have to do with prayer? Well, fasting forms us. The ultimate reason that we fast is to cultivate a hunger for Jesus and for his transformation in our lives. Just like hunger is the feeling of wanting or needing something you don't have, it's a way of praying with your body. It's a way of saying, God, I hunger for you. I want you. I need you. Now, most of the time, we might not feel hungry for God. If anything, we might feel a bit more apathetic towards God. 
He's kind of a part of your world if you need him to be, but you're okay or won't really notice if he's not involved either. Ron Rollheiser, a Catholic priest, says that we are very much asleep, both to God and to our own lives. But it's for this reason that every major spiritual discipline has daily rituals designed precisely to wake us up from spiritual sleep, akin to an alarm clock waking us up from physical sleep. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have walked through life like a zombie. Just a bit too busy and just a bit too preoccupied to really deal or assess what's inside my heart or to connect with God in a meaningful way. Have you felt that way before? Do you want to be awake to the reality of Jesus in your life? John Mark Comer, um, a pastor, um, said about fasting, fasting has the potential to awaken the latent hunger within all souls for God. And in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and, all, and your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. Strength being your entire being. Fasting is a practice that offers our whole life to God. But one of the difficult things that we are facing today when talking about fasting is that throughout the history of the church and in the Western world is that Christians have viewed desires and the body as the enemy. Most of the time, the questions we hear is, what's the body got to do with spirituality? Well, we are embodied beings. And so what we do with our bodies affects our spiritual life. I would suggest Scott McKnight's book on fasting to do a deeper dive on body image and how we can reconnect the body and soul. But briefly, I'll mention that the Bible holds a very high view of the body. The ancient and early Christians did spirituality in the body and with the body. And there have been times when the body has been seen as secondary, but biblically, our bodies really matter. And because of that, it is important to remind us that humankind, you and I, were created in God's image. We see this in Genesis 1.27. We represent God on earth, and we're given this world for God, and we inhabit this world in a physical body. Scott McKnight describes being an image of God being like a diamond. It's multifaceted. The diamond refracts light only when all sides are working. So we need every dimension of who we are to be at work. But we have minimized the body so much in our spirituality that a practice like fasting has become unnatural. But if we were come to a place where we could offer our whole life to God, we become formed by him, which then draws us into a deeper union with Jesus. It might be important to note that fasting isn't a command um, by God. We don't have to do this. God isn't displeased with us if we don't fast or if we forget to pray before eating. It's not about doing, but what happens is we miss out on the richness of what we're doing. And so different practices like prayer, fasting, and Sabbath, um, and other things are meant to regularly call us out of a certain sleep and to awaken us to God. And as I was preparing for this message, um, I had read about uh, what happens to us physically when we fast. 
And one of the physical changes that happens in your body is that fasting purifies and purges your body of dead cells. These are called zombie cells. And after about 24 hours of fasting, our body cleanses it of dead cells. Things that generally make us sick are then removed. And so, and just like how fasting cleanses and purifies your body, fasting is your soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. Things like your false self will come out or maybe even start revealing where your heart is actually at. And when this happens, this isn't a problem with a system or the method. It's a way to reveal the, de the dead cells within us, things that need to be cleansed, but also things that we can bring to God. And when this happens, we are presented with an opportunity to walk humbly to our creator and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you know what the beauty of that is? Is that God doesn't look at you in disdain and puts you down. He says, I'm here with open arms. He is here as your loving father. So not only can fasting form us, fasting also clears away the stuff that distracts us from God. And so one of the reasons that we can consider prayer and fasting is to connect us with the needy. Fasting can have a lot more to do with others than we think, um, in particular, the poor. Early, earlier, we talked about how fasting can be helpful for inner transformation, but fasting can also be a practice for social transformation. So here are some quick facts. 719 million people in our world um, are living on less than $2.15 a day. Currently, there's, there is about 1 billion people worldwide that live on less than $1 a day, and this is defined as extreme poverty. In Canada, the overall poverty rate was sitting at 7.4% in 2021. That is about 2.9 million people in Canada who are currently living in poverty with 653,000 being children. So these are just some quick facts of those who are in need in our world and even in our nation. Fasting is just one of those practices that has been used throughout church history to move towards that are hungry and those on the margin. And so this is one way to not just talk about justice, but to do justice. We see in Isaiah 58.6, a passage that speaks about fasting. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Here the prophet is actually speaking against those that are fasting as a method, meaning that they have been traditionally fasting, thinking that by doing the act, by fasting and not doing anything about it, that they're going to please God and bring favor. So this is actually a caution to us for when we fast. We have to be careful not to make fasting as a way to make us feel better about ourselves, as if, oh, I'm fasting, so therefore I don't need to act or do justice. But Isaiah is trying to reframe fasting as a practice, something you do more than once. It's just not good enough to just fast without the consideration of others. So Isaiah writes that fasting, that the fasting acceptable to God is a daily fast from domination, blaming others, 
evil speech, entitlement, and blindness to one's privilege. The fast that God seeks calls for vigilance for justice and generosity day in and day out. This passage shows us that God expects a partnership with us, his restored people. We get to be participants. We are participants. So we don't fast just for the sake of fasting, but to connect with God and his desire for his people and this world. And if we are genuinely seeking God during our time and prayer of fasting, we are then purged of the things that destroy our own relationship, relationship with God and with one another. And when we seek God in our prayer and in our fasting, we're going to have a really hard time separating God from our relationship with our neighbor. Fasting is a way to love God and love our neighbor at the same time. So how can we do this practically? Fasting helps us stand in solidarity with those who are hungry. To be able to choose to go without food puts us in touch with people around the world who regularly go, go without food, not by choice. Two, um, fasting allows us to share what we have. This actually can be an opportunity to give the money you normally would have spent on food that day, or spend the time you would have spent making food in service to those who are in need. And another practical, practical way you can connect with the poor is also by eating rice and beans. Um, you can do that either to break your fast or even do it as a weekly dinner. The majority of our world lives off of rice and beans, and this is another way to connect and join alongside those who don't have enough to eat. So we've talked about how fasting forms us and how it takes away the distractions that keeps us from God. Then we also talked about how fasting joins us with the hungry and with those in need. And what it also does is that fasting amplifies our prayers. When we, read through this, uh, yeah, when we read through the scriptures, we see that prayer and fasting go together. And it, it isn't a magic trick or anything, but somehow there is a reaction that happens that helps us amplify our prayers to God when combined together. One of the physical benefits of, to fasting is mental clarity. And because fasting is a way of bringing your mind to a point of alertness and, and focus, it has the ability to help keep your mind attentive to the spirit and to what God is saying. It keeps our mind attentive, but our heart humble and hungry. And throughout scripture and church history, there are stories of people fasting to hear God's voice and direction, or another word for that is called discernment. This helps us in times when we are facing a big decision, similar to Psalm 143.8, where the psalmist says, show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. The discipline of fasting and listening to God's voice helps us in our spiritual journey. It takes us from a shallow faith to creating depth, and depth takes time. It helps us go from control to surrender to God, from a position of, I am in control of my life, to, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your word. Fasting is a way where we open up ourselves, our whole body and soul, to God's leading deep inside us. Let me say that when we pray, God hears our prayers, whether we are fasting or not. This isn't a, if you do this, then this will happen. 
But what I can say is that all throughout scripture, we do see that fasting and prayer is partnered together. And throughout history, there have been stories upon stories where the people of God have come together for a national crisis or a change that needed to be, um, needed to be made, and God heard the prayer and answered it. However, fasting is not a, a way to manipulate God into what you want. When you fast, the hope is that your desires will become more like God's. And you will start to pray and move and act in, um, in, in, in step with God and his spirit. As we fast and pray, our inner life becomes more awakened to God, all to help us become more like him. And there are stories in the Bible, like in Jonah 3, where a fast was proclaimed when the Ninevites believed in God. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and didn't bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I think we often assume that God is going to do what he's going, going to do whether or not we pray. But all throughout scripture, we see that God's people, people's pray, and especially when they fast, he responds. Arthur Wallace, who wrote God's Chosen Fast, writes, because, man's, uh, because man repents in respect to sin, God repents um, in respect to judgment. Man's change of heart makes it morally possible for God to behave differently towards him, yet acting consistently with his holy character and principles. So fasting forms us, fasting connects us with the poor, and fasting amplifies our prayers. So first, let's take a quick look at why we don't fast. I said it already, but it's probably worth repeating, but fasting is not about manipulating God to get what we want. It's not a form of, I do this, then you better do this. This is not a legalistic way to get what we want or even to make God love us more. Next is fasting is not for the spiritually elite. There, uh, this isn't a practice that only really serious Christians or veteran Christians do. There is a natural element to fasting. And fasting can be a response to grievous things that happen in our lives. Fasting is a practice for all believers, and there is an invitation for all believers to open their whole person to God's grace to be transformed. And three, fasting is not a health and wellness scheme. Like I mentioned earlier, though there are actually a lot of benefits that come with fasting, these are not the reasons why we fast. And maybe it's by the grace of God that he uses certain practices to help bring a holistic benefit for, benefit for us. But we, we fast not to lose weight, but to gain more clarity in hearing God's voice and his spirit. And so just like prayer and any other practices, it does take time and practice where you do have to repeat it more than once. And most of the time, it won't feel like or be like what you expect. And that's the hard part. For me, for a long while, fasting was hard. Um, I actually hated fasting, um, or the idea of fasting. I did it out of obligation here and there, but that was one of my issues. My heart just wasn't in the right place. God still used it to speak to me from time to time, but most of the time I was just hungry and felt like nothing happened. And so I did it out of religious duty, but I was just grumpy the whole day. And when you start, You'll probably be grumpy too, to be honest. <laughs> you'll want to give up, and you'll be wondering why you started this in the first place. And that's totally normal. 
And I'm not sure what changed for me exactly, but last year I felt a deep yearning for God. Not because I'm so holy, but because I just felt a bit lost, honestly. Um, it could have been because there were a lot also different points of last year where I was feeling a lot of grief, and I was just trying to wrestle through it with God. But I wanted to hear him more, and the idea of fasting regularly just came to mind. So I just sat on the idea uh, for a while and just considered what that might look like. And now I, I've come to a place where I do look forward to the days that I fast, but it did take some time to get there. All this to say, I've felt both the dread towards fasting, but I've also felt the joy in the midst of it. And if you were to try to join in, my prayer is that you'd also come to a place where you feel joy as well. Another note and caution is that if you have struggled with an eating disorder or have an unhealthy relationship with food, I would say that maybe at this time, please don't fast just yet until there's redemption and healing um, in this area of your life, or even if you're expecting a baby or have specific health issues. Um, if this is you, and throughout this message, you felt the pressure that you have to fast, I just want to release you from that. Um, God knows you. God knows your struggles and where you are at. There are other ways just as beautiful to help you engage with, uh, to engage with God by abstaining or sacrificing something else for God. You know, things like watching TV, judgments and criticisms about other people, social media, and so much more. So whatever this looks like for you, here are just some practical steps. One, start small. So there is no set time in how long you should fast, but start small, whether that's just fasting one meal a week or deleting your social media apps for a day. But start with inviting the Holy Spirit into what you're doing. If it's helpful too, take a journal with you to jot down prayers, thoughts, or things you need to confess. Two, if you're fasting food, drink lots of water. It's important to stay hydrated when you're not eating food, and so make sure to have a bottle on hand. And three, expect the body to push back. You will feel hungry, and it's healthy, and it's your body's way of signaling you. It's like, hey, you usually eat right now. Where's my food? And so you can continue to push through. Um, if you fast for longer periods be beyond 36 hours, this does get harder. The first three days where, um, is where you'll feel a lot of physical discomfort. And this is the body actually getting rid of toxic, uh, toxic poisons um, in your body. And so um, when it comes to exercise, exercise during fasting varies for everyone. You'll know your better, uh, better than a body better than others. But for the majority, it's probably best just to not exercise and just take the time to rest. Um, and when you end your fast, start small again and prioritize foods that are just good for you, like fruits and veggies. Four, pray and fast in community. You can fast by yourself and fast in community. Fasting in a community actually helps a lot, even mentally. To know that there are others alongside you sometimes is all you need to keep going. Um, you can end the fast by eating a meal together, by praying together, and sharing what God has shown you um, through that time. And five, remember why you're fasting and praying. When it's getting tough, bring yourself back to why you're fasting and praying. Maybe it's to wake yourself up from a spiritual sleep, 
for a deeper, a deeper union with God. Or maybe you're grieving and praying through something. Or maybe you're, uh, you're struggling with self-control and need the Lord's help. Whatever the reason may be for you to come to a place of fasting and prayer, bring it back to God and ask him to help you and sustain you. Let's pray. Lord, just as we talked about, would you help us seek you with our whole selves? You know where each person is at when it comes to our relationship with you and the things that you desire for us. God, would you lead the conversation with each person here on what our next steps are? At the end of the day, we want to know more of who you are. We want to sense your closeness. We want to hear your voice clearly. We want to be purified of the things that distract us from you, God. So Lord, lead us, guide us. May we be a people that only listens to your gentle voice, but acts on it too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.